I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Economist. In London, this is The Economist. I'm Edward Lucas, a senior editor, and with me is Fiametta Rocco, our books and arts editor. Towards the close of each year, we publish a list of our most highly recommended books. Fumetta, you've been busy. We certainly have. I mean, publishing is becoming like the fashion industry. It has marketing and PR on a level that you can't believe. This year, for the first time, we've had publishers' PRs sending us lists of books that they think we should have on our Books of the Year We're very strict about it. We email our reviewers, both inside the paper and outside, with a very simple question. Choose the finest book you've read this year. So last year was the centenary of the First World War, and this year is an anniversary as well. And Publishers love anniversaries as pegs for history books, don't they? They certainly do. This year's big anniversary, of course, is Waterloo. Not as big as 1914, but big in its way. It's a great and terrible story. This battle that was fought 200 years ago killed tens of thousands of people. And we read a lot of books about Waterloo. I think the finest, probably, we'd say at the end of the day, was Bernard Cornwell's. Very, very well-known British novelist living in America. A man who's created Sharp, this great character of Napoleonic-era fiction, but really a writer who has a deep understanding of men in combat and why they do what they do. That's what makes this book so good. Looking through the non-fiction selections, they're a pretty gloomy lot at the moment, aren't they? It certainly is the case in politics, current affairs, particularly about America. I think it's a bad moment. I mean, you have the wonderful David Moranis, who's such a good writer, writing about his hometown, Detroit, in a book called Once in a Great City. Of course, once the engine room of America, Detroit, really is sputtering now, and this is his story. Jill Levy looking at America's murder rate, although it's down, black men are still dying at alarming rates in the toughest urban pockets. And in a book called Ghetto Side, she particularly looks at Los Angeles. And David Brooks lambasting the sort of narcissism and melodramatic self-importance of the uh, me generation. Great book about the American character. And, you know, Robert Putman, a great liberal voice, worrying about our kids, the American dream in crisis, which he says the most important divide in America today is class, not race. And the place where this matters most is in the home. These are serious books. But with the history books, I felt that there was a lot of lessons for today. I liked Mary Beard's History of Rome, which takes on the commonly held notion dating from, I suppose, Gibbon's decline and fall of the Roman Empire. This is a a story of a civilization that became too multicultural and lost confidence in itself. And she gives a very vivid portrait of ancient Rome and what it was really like. I think what's interesting about the history books this year is the extent to which they not so much cast a shadow, but have a lesson for our times. 
tell me, Edward, because you've read a number of these books, what is your feeling about the books about Russia, the books about ancient Rome, all those other wonderful histories that have been published this year? Well, with my interest in espionage, I like Jonathan Haslam's history of, of Soviet intelligence. But I think the one that really stood out for me was uh, Dominic Levin's history of the First World War from a Russian point of view. It's called Towards the Flame, because one would think that almost everything that could be said about the First World War has already been said. And yet he found a very innovative take, which is looking at it in the context of Russian imperial disintegration, and found stuff in the archives which no one had found before and no one will find since because they've been closed. So that really got my five stars for the history books. Edward, let's turn for a moment to economics because there are also lessons for our times in books here. We've had a whole stream of books about inequality and particularly this year, a very, very good one, Anthony Atkinson, that analyses policy discussions in particular. But what did you think of The Public Wealth of Nations by Dagdetta? Well, I really like this because... I think a lot of the debates in economics are almost irreconcilable between the very entrenched camps. And it's quite rare you get a really new idea that can appeal to everybody. But I think Dagdetta and Stefan Fulster have really hit on something that you, doesn't matter whether you're left-wing or right-wing, capitalist or socialist, or, or any political uh, viewpoint, can agree that public assets should be efficiently run. You should try and run them in a way that minimises the amount of rent-seeking and benefit to special interest and maximises the return for society as a whole. And this, this gets away from that sort of sterile, sterile privatise it or don't privatise it. Just is run it properly. These are huge amounts of money tied up in public land and buildings and other assets. And they are prey to special interests who feast on them for their own benefit, but not for that of the wider society. So I thought that it was really a, a book that should be on every policymaker's desk with an instruction to read it today and act on it tomorrow. And if we want to get away from the um, real world over Christmas, um, what fiction would you recommend we immerse ourselves in? Well, there's some wonderful, wonderful journeys into darkness here. Very, very, very strange series of books, but quite a wonderful year. The Man Booker Prize was won by a Jamaican for the first time, Marlon James, with this fantastic history of seven killings, multiple voices, multiple stories on this assassination attempt of Bob Marley. It's a truly fantastic book. A first-timer, Chigozi Obioma, a uh, Nigerian with a book called The Fisherman, which is a retelling of the Cain and Abel story. He's only 29, really a writer to watch. And I loved Sabo There Below by Laszlo Krasnohorkai, an extraordinary, quite hard to read, but absolutely gripping series of short stories. How would you describe those to someone who hadn't read them? Well, he's a Hungarian modernist, and his sentences are sometimes a whole chapter long. They sort of wind and unwind and rewind one translator described them as a slow lava flow of narrative, a vast black river of type. And he gave the most fantastic speech when he won the Man Booker International Prize back in May, which was exactly, exactly one of these sentences, giving thanks to everybody he could think of, including God. In fact, it's been a fantastically good year for translation. You've got ongoing series, Elsa Ferrante with the story of Lost Child. You've got Knausgaard Submission by Michel Welbeck. It was published the day of the Charlie Hebdo attacks. And this is a man who 
really seems to get his timing unbelievably right. This account of France under Muslim rule is set in 2022. It's been called scaremongering by lots of peoples, but its fans say it speaks to France's deepest secret fears. It's pretty much knocking on the head the popular notion among publishers that foreign fiction doesn't sell. Absolutely, and I think we're going to see more of it. One of the areas in which there's always sort of eternal brightness, I think, because it must attract truly optimistic characters, of course, is science and technology. And here we've seen a number of books, some on forecasting, some on physics, some on the human body, and my own personal favourite, a book called Spirals in Time by Helen Scales. She's a marine biologist turned science writer and she has this beautifully impassioned and convincing way of writing that contrary to expectations, mollusks have much to teach us. So seashells from a new vantage point. Absolutely, that's going into my stocking. Well, thanks very much, Fiametta. You can read our complete list on our website at economist.com. And from London, this is The Economist. Happy reading. The Economist. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.